Welcome to another episode of Local First Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Dennis Hill with Exacta Corp. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Good morning. Good day. Good day. Good day. You got you got my days mixed up. Hey, that's all part of it. That's no big deal. So how how's things going for you today, Dennis? Uh, it's like any other day. It's a long Monday, and I think uh, today's what Thursday. Yeah. yeah so for a Monday, on. it's doing okay. Sweet. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on the show, and uh, uh, we're gonna have some fun here. So, um, before we get into the nitty gritty. Let the listeners learn a little bit about you. You know, who is Dennis Hill? Well, I grew up back in suburban Philadelphia in the 60s and the 70s, came out here to Wisconsin to attend uh, the NCAA Championship College in 1977, and that is Marquette University, where I studied biomedical engineering, electrical engineering, computer science. Um, after that, um, I took a position uh, to be the uh, the head of the computer science engineering program at the Milwaukee School of Engineering. Saw that through to accreditation and eventually became vice president for business and government affairs there. That helped me network quite a bit with companies in the area. And uh, when the administration turned over in the early 90s, so did I. And I uh, went into private consulting, which is what I do today. Um, I basically solve problems and make measurements. I'm a, a change agent, always have been. I create things. I modify things. Um, and uh, so for the last uh, 35 years, really have been engaged in working with businesses to help improve processes. That's awesome. That uh, sounds like you've done quite a bit in your life so far. So what is exact then in in let people know, you know, exactly what what you do here. Okay. Exacta Corporation started in the mid-1970s as a contract programming company servicing the mainframe programming needs of rising businesses, including I think one of their first clients was J.C. Penney when it was here. Certainly with M&I Data Systems or what's known today as um, uh, FIS Global, uh, companies like uh, First Wisconsin, which was one of the preeminent banks. Today we know them as U.S. Bank. A few others. Uh, Exacta had provided technical support and software development uh, for the better part of 43 years now. And uh, beyond that, of course, we've serviced companies nationwide, Canada, Europe, as well as every pretty much every agency and state government. Uh, so... Uh, at this point, I would say we have a census of about 22,000 uh, developers, software architects, and project managers available. Um, and uh, in the last five years, we've kind of gone through a digital transition. And what is that transition? Well, the as you well know, Rob, uh, the employment market has really exploded with the economy uh, jumping over 3% growth. I mean, we talk about these things like they're insignificant, but 3% growth of a $20 trillion uh, economy is huge. Yes. And uh, not to quote somebody who's currently in office, it's a huge. And if you go down the street, you can see these banners that have, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. I imagine those with little red X's through the hiring word saying, we're desperate, we're desperate, we're desperate. And so uh, they're out trying to find anybody and everybody they can to fill positions, whether it's a part-time service company or, a, say, a Subway or some sort of steak shop or uh, 
the the manufacturing uh, development going on in southeastern Wisconsin with Foxconn. All of these things have put an incredible burden on the workforce development uh, chain here, particularly in Wisconsin, because our unemployment was low anyhow to begin with among most states. And that's really kind of the evolution Exacta went through, uh, starting from contract programming. It really became a a purveyor of contingent staff for the better part of uh, more than half of its life. But uh, that model um, is not really sustainable because you, you, you can't really retain the innovation. You really can't retain the creativity. Um, and so about 2013, uh, the board of directors on which I've sat since 2003 decided to refocus, realign, and actually expand its revenue stream to include um, a whole new software platform based on CRM, contact relationship management, and extending that really to what the burgeoning field of knowledge relationship management is all about. The gathering and the maintaining, the curating of knowledge. And how do you do that both in a corporate environment, but also in in, uh, personal environments, your home life? That's exciting. It's more than exciting. Uh, it, it's the reason why I wake up at 3.30 every morning and pass out at about 11 o'clock at night. Uh, it's fun because you get to meet all sorts of people. I'm, I'm talking to C-level executives. I'm talking to IT people. I'm talking yesterday with a vice president of engineering at a company. I'm talking to sales and marketing folks. Our position or our perspective on CRM is much more uh, than simply cu- customer relationship management. That's kind of been the the uh, the focus for the better part of 30 years. But when I joined this group of companies called the Nordic Group um, back in the late 80s as a board member, uh, we identified the opportunity to expand contact relationship management across the company, not just your sales prospects and your customers. Why would you just want to develop systems around talking to one third of the human beings that you're going to deal with? You have to deal with your workforce, uh, uh, your applicants and your employees. That's another third. And your supply chain, your vendors. Why would you want to have three different ways of talking to human beings? So our approach has always been, my, my approach has always been, CRM as an ERP solution is an enterprise-wide uh, program system that draws all of these contacts in, leverages all the technology, whether it's electronic mail or electronic surveys, uh, <laughs> maintaining Christmas card lists, whatever it might be, that all that information, then bundle that also in with something that manages all your documents, uh, again, CRM is about transactional relationships with people, but you exchange documents, and those documents may not necessarily be Word or PDF. A document today can be an audio file like you're recording right now or a video file. It can be any kind of medium. That's, a, that's what we would consider a document. But the downside of that industry has always been customize, right? They're going to sell you something and you're either going to live with the limitations of it or you're going to pay a lot of money to customize it. We bundle it all together because our primary market for this solution set from Exacta, as opposed to our contingent staffing and programming development group, which was targeted at large enterprises, (coughs) is to offer these software solutions off the shelf to small, mid-sized businesses and maybe even eventually families, you know, for internal use in their homes. In fact, we're planning on doing a Kickstarter to introduce the first CRM for residential use in the world. Nobody's ever done it. Uh, you know, they've adapted other things. So why would you want a, a solution that scans cards, right? 
well, scan return addresses too on your envelopes from your Christmas cards. Well, there you go. You don't have to type that in. Or you get these bills, right? And it would be nice to have those vendors of your, you know, your gas cards and things like that. You just take a picture of it. It goes right into your vendor file. Or better yet, take all those documents you have sitting around, those marriage licenses, the school applications, the tax filings and things like that, and throw them all into the vault. We call it the vault. An unstructured area, just like a regular vault. You just walk in. Might, might be organized, might not be. But the reality is people have all these documents sitting around. Some of them are in paper. Some of them are electronic. We're getting more and more electronic. Oh, where do you go for that? Well, you don't want to always go back to the oil company to get statement from last year. You don't have to. Just send that PDF, put it in the vault. And then you have to say, well, I don't like organizing files on my computer, Right. I go organizing files on my computer. Now I'm creating folders and subfolders, and I have to know where I put it, not with our vault. You just toss everything in one big vault, and it'll find it for you. You just type in keywords like BP, and all your British Petroleum stuff will come up, or Shell, or We Energies. All that stuff comes up on searches like that. You don't, you don't even have to give it an intelligent name. Just throw it in there. Throw it in there, and it'll find it for you. It'll find it for you, and very, very fast. I mean, uh, you can't get to sec you know, to Mississippi when you're looking through 25,000 documents and up come the five that, that match that. That's awesome. I, I really like what's, what's going on here. What, what, what do you see as some of your biggest challenges? Well, I think people are used to the, the maturity of the software industry, and they look to the big guys, right? So they're looking to the Facebooks and the Googles and the Microsofts and the Apples. But in reality, it's just like small businesses run the economy in this country and in the world. It is entrepreneurial software developers like this that have created the app world, right? You know who wrote that particular app you're downloading on your phone. You just know it's cool. And, um, and it's the same way with this. We're bringing that kind of innovation and entrepreneurial attitude to business software. Uh, I really think the millennial age, for example, is expecting, and then the Gen Z's coming behind them, a uh, more interactive kind of business software that's almost like gaming control. So you walk into my conference room, and on the table is an Xbox controller. And people are like, why do you have a gaming controller? Is it because that you can interact with with our software? You can stand in front of a Kinect and interact with it strictly through physical interactions. You don't have to use a keyboard. And that's where we're going. Why should business software lag decades behind the technology where it's at today? And, and who knows where that can go? I mean, we, nobody really knows. Nobody's got a crystal ball on it. Some innovation will come out. But that's our biggest challenge is, is getting the market to understand the high technology that we really have employed without using a whole lot of jargon to explain it. And then getting them to buy it because we're not Microsoft or Apple or Google. We're Xacta. We've been in business longer than those companies, in fact. I should say that. Oh, no doubt. We've been in business longer than those companies. In fact, Xacta is the longest computer consulting company in the state of Wisconsin under the same owner. The same founder, and he'll be 75 next year. So that speaks to the consistency of what we try to do. But at the same time, we reject the term maturity because maturity seems to imply stagnation. We're entrepreneurial. You know? And in some ways, the start startup effort for our CRM um, has all the trappings of something that was developed in somebody's basement or garage, but with the funding of a company that's done you know, well in excess of a half billion dollars in billings over 40 years. Wouldn't you like to have a garage business, Rob, that 
had already done a half billion dollars of business. Oh, no doubt. That's that's what's fun. That's what's fun. I like that. So if you could go back in time, you know, when you got started with all of this, what advice would you give to your younger self? (laughs) That's a tough one because I went into biomedical engineering never expecting to go into the computer field. At that time, we just used computers. And, And so what would I advise myself if I could go back in time? Get a strong seatbelt. Get a strong seatbelt. <laughs> because it's going to be a, a wild ride. Wild ride. I yeah. wouldn't want to change a thing. And I had a lot of good advisors. I, I can tell you something. So what, what, is, what has been some of your, your mentors, you know, okay. that, somebody's that really, you know, helped you along that way? I'll try not to name names. I have a tendency to drop names because there's so many influential people. Uh, and some, some who have passed away, I, I will mention. So the guy who started CarX Muffler Shops. He was one of three founders of that. And he gave me great advice. He says, if you never need a business partner, don't get one. He had two, right, with CarX. Uh, he went on to start oil change centers and many storage units and things like that. Um, he would come into my office, and he's the one who who really broadened my view on um, on the stock market and securities. Every afternoon, 4.30, come in and say, what's going on with the stocks? And I have to bring him up on my computer. So he was very influential because he taught me really to to grind bigger lenses. And speaking of that, um, the the president that I worked under at the School of Engineering, you know, um, it was one thing to create the curriculum. It was another thing to go to lunch and have this guy tell you what he thinks your life should be in the next two or three years. And then you see those things unravel with good advice, good advice. He did. He knew I was a mover and shaker. And, of course, when you're in your 20s, you don't really think about things like death. And and I'm not risk adverse, so I didn't have a problem speaking my mind and doing what I wanted to do. (laughs) But I was also helping people at the same time. So it was kind of this malevolent – I'm sorry, benevolent dictatorship kind of role I had when I was in charge because nothing got done at MSOE at that time in the computer area unless it went through my desk. So – how do you do that and and not create political waves? So he taught me the politics side. And it's interesting to note that he actually, um, uh, in light of H.W.'s uh, uh, passing away this week, um, he was instrumental at the time uh, in, the, in the mid-70s. Um, he was under Secretary of State and ran the Food for Peace program under Gerald Ford, and he knew the Bushes. And in fact, we gave the both Barbara and George Bush, um, George H. W. Bush, their honorary doctorates from the School of Engineering. So uh, that's and and, and then uh, Norman Vincent Peale. I, I'm going to drop a name. Okay, I'm dropping famous names. Norman Vincent Peale died in '92, but Norman Vincent Peale came to campus a number of times, and I was privileged to host him. And I went out to their uh, properties in in Connecticut to see their communications operations, which were quite extensive. Um, their guidepost magazines. I met the fellow who was running it for them, and of course, we spent time with with both Dr. Peale and his wife, Ruth Stafford. Um, He's the guy who wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. That started it all. And to me, for a guy to write such a book like that that was inspirational in so many people's lives and to tie that into the fact that he was also also a Methodist preacher giving the gospel, um, it just seemed to bring the whole universe together. You could be somebody who's spiritual with one foot in the spiritual camp and yet have a foot 
soundly plan it right here in the secular world doing your business thing and have that completely ethically and morally integrated in that. So those are three. Those are three good ones. I'd mention my I'd, I'd mention my uncle uh, because he's really the one who instilled in me multitasking and working really long hours. This is a guy who was a supervisor at the Arco refinery in South Philadelphia. On his way home, he would sell used cars at a car lot. Um, it was a big car lot. I mean, I don't mean this to make it sound like some corner thing. Um, but he would do that for the, the the dealership in town on his way home. He'd go home. He'd get home maybe 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. His wife would have dinner. They had three kids. And then uh, when they got old enough, uh, when the son got old enough, he set up a janitorial service. So he was out 11, 12 o'clock at night helping his son get that business started. I mean, he, I don't know when, when Jimmy ever slept. But Uncle Jim was great. And yet he took the time out to host us and his family at their place down the Jersey Shore at Labor Day weekend. And, and it's the kind of place where mom would drag the kids to their house and they'd be up her with Jimmy's wife till three o'clock in the morning, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> So he said he, he inspired me that way. So those are the big influences in my life. That's awesome. That's, it's good that, you know, you have those influences in your life and sometimes you, they, they come to you and sometimes you have to go find them as well. Uh, those types of influences, those mentors. I grew up in a broken home. I, I don't mind admitting that. Uh, I, it was a fatherless home. My mother had been previously married, uh, uh, one other time before she married my father. Um, the marriages didn't last very long. You know, I think I think she served papers on her first husband on three day 364 so they couldn't celebrate their anniversary. That's the story. <laughs> <laughs> and and my, my dad was three and a half years, but yet she raised three kids, right? And uh, my grandmother, her mother, lived in the house until I was about seven years old. Okay, so, you know, I'm a guy surrounded by women. I, well, believe me, I know how to treat a lady because in a house with one guy and three women. Yeah, that's you, tough. You either know how to treat a lady or yeah. you're, you're waiting for hell to freeze over oh, or something no like doubt. that. So <clears throat> anyhow, big influence on my life, obviously, uh, mom and the work ethic and her ability to take care of three kids at a time. And this is in the 60s and the 70s. Um, so what I would say is that I totally agree with your point about looking for influences. Um, we see it in a very negative way every single day when we hear about crime and kids and gangs. Okay, they're looking. Why? Because they're fatherless homes too. I mean, the statistics show all that. They're looking. And if they can't find it through the kinds of role models like I was fortunate to have, they're going to find it someplace. Someplace, and right. And unfortunately, it's yeah. it's in the wrong place too many times. I totally, I totally agree with that. With the exact the corporation, what are three to five things that the listeners should know if they have a need? So Exacta has this dual personality of people and products, right? Um, and, and when I talk about our EBIS2 software, Exacta Business Information Systems, which is a CRM, I don't want you to think that that's all we do. In fact, some of our consultants are implementing competing packages like Salesforce and others at companies around the state. We do that because we're primarily software architects. And that's 
that's an unusual term because you can go and you say, well, that's a computer person. That's a computer person. You might go to your, you know, your, your son or your nephew or your daughter or your niece in high school and their computer was compared to you. Well, guess what? They, they have more in common with uh, kids from China than they have in common with adults over the age of 60. And yet we're the ones running around looking for help and we don't even know how to communicate to this generation. So I'm bringing that up because not all computer people are alike. I wouldn't go to a podiatrist to ask him about brain cancer. Okay, they're specialists. I wouldn't necessarily go to a mason to discuss the architectural design of a new house, right? I'm going to go talk to an architect. And software is exactly the same way. I mean, people think you get the same kind of advice if the person knows a little something about computers, and that is not the case. That's why I say it's hard to say that this industry's matured. It hasn't. So uh, the three things that exact, I'm going to give you three. Give three. Number one is that um, we are first and foremost uh, a people shop consisting primarily of solutions architects. In other words, if you have either uh, plans for a complicated information system or a simple one, or you have plans to integrate what you already have in place and how to make this streamline. I, we were just in a meeting that went was supposed to be about 45 minutes and it went two hours because we got into brainstorming and streamlining. You need an architect that does that, somebody who understands information flow but also understands your business and your organization. So that's the first thing. Exacta has solutions architects. The second thing we have is the talent to implement that. So we're kind of like a one-stop shop. If you like our architectural stuff, we can either take things that we've developed in-house, like our EBIS2 software, base that off the platform, or we can use third-party products. I'm going to have lunch in another week or so with the president of a software company who wants us not only to help integrate their software to our CRM, so a front-end front-end is their solution, but they even would like us to just do full-boat full boat implementation of their software, their software, with the customers because they just want to write programs. I get that, and that's very valuable. We don't write programs in a sense that we just are happy with the way the program is. We write programs that save people time, save people money. I don't write programs that require you to do more work. In fact, if you look at the way our software works, it's designed so that if you don't want to do work, it might even appeal to your lazy side. <laughs> you just you scan, scan something in by taking a picture with your phone. Okay, how yeah. can anything be easier, easier than, than that? that right? Just throw all your files into the vault. You don't even have to give them names. Just throw them all oh, in there, and yeah. they'll find it, right? So those are the sorts of things we're doing. So that's the second thing. So if you need people to get the job done, we have that. And then the third thing is, um, if you like our philosophy of software that actually solves problems and not makes work for people, then then this is a this is a place to come for not only those solutions but even some advice. If you just want to come and chat, you know it's it's like it's like a law firm. You know we'll give you an hour for free and just talk to you. And if it breaks into a needs assessment, you walk away with some value. That's great, and that's on our guarantee. That's something I want to underscore here. So everything we do, all those three things, whatever you need, if you don't find the time of any value, there's no charge. So even if you're a customer of ours for 15, 20 years, and I come in and, and we're talking about the Christmas card collection on your reception desk, and, and you get no value at it, there's no charge. I like that. I like that. 
Very cool. So mm-hmm. go back in time and, and when you thought, wow, I'm really making a difference. Well, again, I came from a very distinct kind of family life, right, at a time which was different. So I was engaged in sports. Mom made sure I participated in athletics as well as um, academics. Um, I came in from a town that had a volunteer fire department. I don't know if I should talk about some of this stuff, but we'll just say that there was a back room there, and it was very smoke-filled with a lot of cigar smokers on Sunday afternoons. (laughs) So when my grandpa would pick me up, we'd go down to the firehouse. And I'd sit up in the the TV room, and there'd be some people in there watching TV, and he'd be in the back, I presume, smoking cigars. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what that did? That exposed me to the fire department the volunteer fire department. Now, you can't do that in a big city and certain townships are too large to have all volunteers, but there's something about volunteering that if you're if you're not a volunteer, then will you ever make a purpose, uh, a sense of purpose of your life? But everybody I have met, and I mean everybody, I know of no exception to this experience, everybody that I have seen a selfless commitment to others and has had some sort of volunteer background. They've either helped old ladies across the street or old men, as the case might be, uh, through scouting, or they've been a part of their volunteer community. I went on for training. I went to the Delaware County Fire Academy. I I was one of the first EMTs back in Pennsylvania at that time in the 70s. Um, That eventually led to my getting work in an emergency room during college years uh, at a Catholic charity hospital in West Philadelphia. I mean, I saw horrible things that people do to one another. Uh, But at that point, I was getting paid. So that early volunteer experience made me realize that having a purpose in one's life is really what life is about. And if you don't have that purpose, I don't think you have a life. Aristotle would say that the unexamined life is not worth living. If you're not doing anything, there's nothing to examine. That is so true. That is true. I like that. So we are going to get into some rapid fire questions here, Dennis. And before we get into it, you get to ask me one question, any question you like, and I will do my best to answer. Yeah. (laughs) I've only been stumped once. You're very engaged in the community. What is the thing you like the most and I mean the most about Milwaukee. And what is the one thing you like the least that if you could change, you'd change it? The one thing that I love about Milwaukee is that, that there's one thing that I have to live by is an I, the lake. I love the lake. I love the fact that Milwaukee is a small, big city. Mm-hmm. That if you are bored, you're not looking and you're not seeing. There's always something to do here. Uh, I've tried living all across the country and uh, stationed in Europe, and I always find myself coming back to Milwaukee. Um, The least thing that I like about Milwaukee, even though it's not that bad, is the traffic. Um, 
it's, I suppose, I mean, it's kind of lame. The least thing I like about Milwaukee. That's a tough one. I really don't have a lot to say about that, about the bad things in Milwaukee. There's a lot of good things that are going on right now. There are. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you see it. And um, I had just yesterday at um, uh, Keith Stanley with the Near West Side Partnership, and we talked quite a bit about communities and neighborhoods and, and the growth of what's going on here. So if you could just, I guess not watch so much news and all the negativity what's going on and really look what's actually going on, you'll get a totally different view of what Milwaukee really is, and it's something special. So it's my turn. So these are just rapid-fire questions, anything that comes to your head, and um, and then we'll wrap it up after there. So if you could give a TED Talk on anything that you would like outside of your expertise, what would it be? The reason why that's tough is she, she, she threw expertise in there, so I should have an answer for that. But th- there's a lot of things I get involved in. Right? Sure. So, well, be outside of exact. Okay. Oh, outside of exact. Outside really of exact. Easy. Okay, that's really good because this is something I'm taking action on. Right. I believe that the TED Talk would be on the value of transparency and healthcare pricing. Um, in this age of premiums and uh, high deductibles and so forth, people need to know what they're spending their money on. And the, the fact is that there's competitive pricing out there. If you really want to reform the healthcare system, uh, you have to really allow them to advertise the prices of what they have out there, so people can price shop. I mean, I know what I, I know what chicken nuggets will cost me at three different fast food restaurants, and even though they all kind of look and smell and taste the same. There's uh, slightly different prices, and I can make a choice. Right now, if I'm going to get an MRI at, at a major educational institution down the road, or I'm going to go to one of the chains, and 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 honestly, most people couldn't tell you whether or not a particular healthcare chain is for profit or not for profit. Uh, believe me, you'll see it if they if they were forced to publish their prices online. So I started something called the Foundation for Patient Advocacy earlier this year as a result of my work in law school. Believe it or not. And uh, for the purposes of bringing transparency or some light upon what these charges really are. It's been done elsewhere. It's been done in the Twin Cities. It's been done with the California Pension Fund. And they have, say, millions and millions of dollars a year. People are much more informed. And so uh, I believe that giving fully informed consent requires people to know what it's going to cost for these treatments and uh, what those services are and then have the opportunity to pursue that. So if let me answer your question now. So if I was to do a TED Talk on something that's not in my area of expertise, it would be on the value of bringing transparency to the pricing of the healthcare system to, you know, through public media. It would save I, I like that. that. That is really, really cool. So one other question here, what ha- how has a failure or apparent failure in the past set you up for later success? Oh, Pick one. I love rapid fire questions because they deserve slow fire answers. They do. Um, <laughs> okay, so the, the the that's very interesting because I can tell you something. Everybody who's been a success has had a plethora of failures to get there. Everybody. Everybody. Because and the only people who don't have failures in their life they're not trying. They didn't try. They didn't try. 
And unfortunately, a lot of the uh, young people I see coming out of schools today are being brought up in this risk-adverse type of mindset. Uh, I don't know where the future entrepreneurs are going to come from. And we talk about trying to level the playing field and giving everybody equal results in addition to equal opportunity in this socialistic mind. But I have news for you. The greatness that we stand on are the shoulders of people who chose to be different and bold. Okay, And that's what we need. We need to recognize that we're standing on other people's shoulders. Case in point, very proud of the computer science and engineering program at MSOE. Started in 1983, okay? First graduates, 87, got it accredited. It took this long for that program to get recognized as the fourth best computer engineering program in the country. Now, do I take credit for that? No. It's, it's been decades of good, committed people, wonderful students that are graduated. But you know what? Somebody's standing on those shoulders, just like I stood on the shoulders of people who even established the college to begin with. So once we understand that, we understand the value of failure. Because when you're standing on other people's shoulders, you're going to falter too. Oh, no doubt. Right? Yep. And uh, those shoulders matter and those failures matter because you, you learn from them. That's how you improve. So how do the listeners, if they want to get in, in contact with you, uh, Dennis, I mean, how would they go about that, um, whether it be email or website or... How would they get a hold of you? Okay. So the best way to do that is through Exacta, obviously Exacta Corporation, and their website is www.exactacorp.com. Um, there are profiles of the staff on there, including myself. You can link to that. There's a whole lot of other ways to communicate with us. Email. The phone number here is 800-258-2070. Um, our extensions here at Exacta are all tied to our cell phones. Uh, we believe in ready access, hands-on access. So even if you were to connect over to my, quote, office, uh, it would ring on my cell. As long as I'm not in a meeting with somebody else, I'll answer it. All right, very good. Any last requests for the audience and any last parting words? We live in an age which used to be known as the information age. That age is quickly evolving into the knowledge age. And we're all familiar with the saying, knowledge is power. I would encourage your audience to... Be informed, stay informed, and then apply. Apply, exactly. I like that. You can have all the knowledge you want, but if you don't apply it, you're just a book with nothing open in it. Okay. I love it. Thank you so much, uh, Dennis, for My being pleasure. on the show. Um, it was a very great conversation. Thanks for opening up. Thank you, Rob. You're welcome. Let's keep the conversation going. You can find me by searching Local First Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Also head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave some comments. You also have the opportunity to request to have a guest or topic for Local First Podcast. For any of the books or resources talked about on these episodes, head over to localfirstpodcast.com. Click on the resources tab. I also want to thank Exacta Corp for Studio One. Until next time, it's your host, Rob Kohansky.